when we think about how we grew up and we complain, oh my God, I didn't have this, I didn't have that. Well, here's a guy had literally nothing. He was on literally, you could say death row. And I asked him questions like, how did you even have a mindset that you could even survive that? What sustained you? That's fascinating to just hear the answer on something like that. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm thrilled to have with me Eli Marcus. Eli and I are both part of the C-Suite Network, and he's a fellow podcaster with one of the top podcast shows around. So, Eli. With that introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thanks, Tom. I am ready to rock, ready to inspire, ready to motivate some people. So could you give us a little taste of your professional background, Eli? Sure. I have always been a sort of, put it this way, a nonfiction self-help geek. (laughs) I used to go into all the bookstores, read every book I possibly can, and try to fix my dysfunction as a youth. (laughs) And it worked. Finally, I was able to pick up on some things. So that led me down the path to open up a company called the Seminar Center in New York City, which became the world's largest seminar company. These are mostly two-hour seminars, and we had events, everybody from having Michael Jackson that uh, we brought to Carnegie Hall to Mark Victor Hansen, who at the time was, of course, uh, well-known for Chicken Soup for the Soul, to motivational speakers like Dennis Waitley, Les Brown, to legendary singers such as Judy Collins or Raymond Zarek from The Doors. And what led you to the podcast format and why do you find that that format works for your message in 2023? Well, you know, in order to run the seminars back then, we literally had about 1,500 boxes, newspaper boxes on the corners of the streets of Manhattan. So I was pretty ubiquitous and we had a magazine in each one of those. We had a competitor who didn't believe in competition, and one day he went around and literally broke a lot of those boxes with his own hands. So fast forward many years later, I decided to put myself in that kind of jeopardy where somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning or even 2 o'clock in the afternoon can interrupt my business. I figured, you know, podcasting, impossible to interrupt my business. I don't need all the hardware, 1,500 street boxes. I can just do what we're doing right now. So that's the beauty of podcasting, as you know, Tom. I don't know whether to chalk that up to a Southerner's view of New York City, the cutthroat competition you were in, or the fact that you had a weak link that could be exploited. But that's the most unique example I've heard for moving to the podcast format. So thank you. Well, I wanted to stay in the self-help game, you know, and how can I do this in the easiest way and just get started? And that's the beauty of being able to do the podcast. So I have really come to appreciate the podcast format for its intimacy. And by that, I mean, one, you and I are going to be in someone's, but in their head in a way that they respond to from an audio format and an audio experience, very different than a a live person experience, very different from a visual experience. What is it about the audio experience you find so powerful? I love also that one-on-one sort of experience that kind of bonds you forever with somebody. Like you and I are, right now, we're bonded better than we've ever been before, even though we've been on many C-suite network events, particularly during the pandemic, where you didn't have too many other choices 
you want in person with people. So you get on those, your Hollywood squares, you're one of a hundred Hollywood squares on there. So now we get a chance that one-on-one, we get a chance to learn about each other, find out about each other's interests. And that's what really makes it fascinating. You, you just learn things that maybe you would know somebody for 10 years that you wouldn't learn. To me, the art of the questions, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. And a lot of people don't ask questions that could really change their life. That They're just thinking maybe that the person that they're talking to either doesn't want to answer it for them or doesn't have the answer, but why not give it a shot? You never know what somebody's going to tell you. So I love to you know, find out why is somebody as successful as they are? How did they get to where they got to? How did they overcome childhood disease or a chronic illness? Because a lot of us complain and we say, well, you know, I had a tough upbringing and that's what prevented me from being successful. When in reality, there's a motivational speaker out there. His name is Nick. He doesn't have arms or he doesn't have legs. He's one of the greatest motivational speakers in the world. So if he can do what he does with that challenge, how are we to say that we can't do what, what we're destined to do because of some speed bump that we had when we were younger? I have seen YouTubes of Nick and probably for me, the most poignant and or impressive part is when he mounts the podium, literally no legs and no arms, and then proceeds to tell us, yes, you can do it. Exactly. Could you say a few words about what C-Suite has meant to you? Because we are both members of C-Suite Network. Well, yeah, C-Suite, of course, run by Jeffrey Hazlett and certainly uh, all the great people like Trisha Ben, who's the CEO. They have opened up my opportunity to learn from people without having to run across the world. The old days, uh, you wanted to go to something good, you'd have to fly someplace. Now you can just get on a Zoom call and they're bringing in experts, whether it's uh, Mitzi Perdue, who's also a member, of course, and she's the husband of, of course, the famous Frank Perdue of chicken fame, or whether they're bringing in a Mark Victor Hansen, which they did, who's a friend of mine, but I can never learn enough from someone like him, or whether it's on those podcasting events that you do once a month, where you can learn how to be a better podcaster, learn certain tips. I'm always trying to learn new tips. Now, you got a lot of shows. I've got one show. <laughs> but regardless, I'm sure even you're still trying to pick up some nuances and tips. So I tell people, I have two criteria for a podcast and only two. Number one, how much did I learn? And number two, how much fun did I have? Because I'm endlessly curious, but I'm going to take your wisdom to think, You know, it's maybe not just listening, but it's asking great questions too. So that leads me to how were you able to learn that skill? Did you hone it? Did you practice it? Was it something you grew up with in a family where debate and argument was going on? Where did asking great questions come from? I grew up with arguments, but no debates. They were just arguments. So (laughs) I don't think I learned much. My parents were wonderful people, but that's not where I learned most from. I learned literally as I said, from the books that I read and the audio tapes, and I listened to The Psychology of Winning by my mentor, Dr. Dennis Waitley, back in the old days, you know, when they had something called audio cassettes. And I also went to every seminar that I possibly could, and that's what inspired me to open up my own seminar company. So I'm always just trying to learn one more thought. If you read a book, you're probably going to get more than one good thought, but if you even get just one good thought, it really can change things around. And sometimes, Tom, what I've learned People come to me, Eli, you went to this motivational stuff. I went to Tony Robbins and nothing changed. It just doesn't work that way. It's not like you drink water once and you're good for the rest of the year. 
the same thing with motivation or learning. You know, you just got to keep learning over and over and over again. And sometimes what Malcolm Gladwell calls the tipping point, you need maybe 1,000th time or repetition finally before it sinks in and, and it tips things over your way. So that's a great point about Malcolm Gladwell and the times I have achieved really a, a high level of learning. It's when I unintentionally realized later that I'd hit that thousand, that 10,000, whatever that tipping point is that Malcolm said, and it put me in a position where I could start asking intelligent questions. But the interesting thing for me is it made me even more curious the more I learned. What's your experience been on that? Yeah. You know, so for me, it's just, again, you know, repetition is the really a mother of invention. You just can't get away with it. If you think about a basketball player, right? The best free throw throughers are not just naturally born. They didn't come out of a womb being able to shoot 90% free throw percentage. You've got to go ahead and just practice. And it always amazes me when you hear about the Larry Birds or the Magic Johnsons or the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's or the LeBron James. Sure, they have tons of talent, but that's honed. It's not just Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan was one of the hardest working guys on the court. And a lot of these guys are the last guys out of the gym, like Chris Mullen. He was notorious for leaving the gym way after everybody else did and just constantly shooting and shooting and shooting. So people look for these so-called secret. I'm not sure there is a secret in the sense of uh, something that just pops out and you hit the lottery all of a sudden one day. It's just secret to me is just continuing to do the same thing over and over again until you perfect it. Uh, let me turn to your podcast, The Motivation Show, and ask you some questions about that. How do you think through the structure of each episode? So, well, I like to actually read the book of the person I'm interviewing. So usually they have a book. I tend to go after people who have books. And I like to honestly ask the questions that I myself are most curious about, the things that I can learn about, because I figure if I can learn something and that this is going to mean something to me, also my audience is probably going to want to learned that as well. One of my recent interviews was with a gentleman by the name of Ramon Hervey. And Ramon was married to Vanessa Williams, the former the Miss America. And she was, of course, an actress on Broadway and films. And he also was the publicist for Richard Pryor. He worked with Quincy Jones and a lot of other greats. And in reading his book, you know, he's talking about how to get your 10 minutes of fame as well. What does it take to do that? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask questions along that line because not only am I interested in up in my game continuously and getting more notoriety, but almost everybody else on the planet who's an entrepreneur really, I think, unless they're really shy, really wants to get out there and like, how do we become better known? How does our podcast get picked up by a larger entity if possible? How do we get in Fortune magazine? So yeah, I'm going to ask questions along those lines. I really like that approach because what I heard was by asking questions you were interested in, you're going to bring your passion. And that's what I think I'm able to bring to my audience because of the two criteria I've set. I'm going to be passionate because I'm going to get something out of it. Yep. And I think that's what people really enjoy when you and I interview a guest or you and I interview each other. Yep. It's clear to me the passion in your voice, and it's clear to me the passion that you bring to your podcast. And I think people really do relate to that, even on an audio level. Is that something you think would be valid as well? Yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, they want to get on my podcast, right? And I tell them I'm snobby without trying to be. <laughs> my criteria is really, I want to bring people that are relatively either well-known, have a large audience, because in my own mind, I can help piggyback on top of that as well. So there's some benefit for me because I, 
I don't do my podcast to make money. It's always been a passion project. So, but obviously the more people that listen into the podcast, the better it's going to be for everybody. So I'm kind of careful in who I choose and how I choose people. And everybody I bring to the table, even if they don't have a big following, it's got to be somebody that fascinates me. For instance, you know, I interviewed a guy by the name of Sam Ron. He's a Holocaust survivor. He's going on 99. He'd be 99 this July. He survived four concentration camps. Four. He survived a death march, two and a half weeks without food or drink in the forest. He doesn't have a big following, but it fascinated me. So sometimes I'll just pick a topic where it's like, oh my God, like I got to interview this guy. He's 99. You know, hopefully he's going to be 120. But who knows how many more opportunities you get to interview somebody who has a story to tell like that. There's a lot to learn from stories like that. Again, when we think about how we grew up and we complain, oh my God, I didn't have this, I didn't have that. Well, here's a guy had literally nothing. He was on literally, you can say death row. And I asked him questions like, how did you even have a mindset that you could even survive that? What sustained you? That's fascinating to just hear the answer on something like that. That's kind of where I'm at in terms of, I want to learn deep things because I don't want to complain anymore. I don't want to hear myself <laughs> bitch and moan about the small stuff. And that's a guy that I had who wrote that book, who now became part of the American jogging, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And the great thing, Tom, was his subtitle was, And It's All Small Stuff. That was written by Dr. Richard Carlson, who I had in my seminar center many years ago. And if you just internalize that title, think about it. That just means that basically everything is small stuff, except for maybe the one-tenth of one percent that really is big stuff, like a death of a loved one. But outside of that, and even with that, I see people celebrating and they're not devastated at the death because they're just celebrating it instead of taking the other approach, which is I'm going to need a therapist for the next five years and I'm completely over and I can't live my life anymore. So at the end of the day, these are choices. I didn't know this when I was younger. I only saw people at funerals weeping and distraught. I saw my mother distraught. And I learned one time I was at a funeral and I actually saw them celebrating and laughing and joking at the mic. And I'm like, I've never saw this before. It's a new way of honoring somebody. You don't have to break down. You can, you know, in fact, it seemed like everybody was in a much better mood. And if I had a choice between a lousy mood and a better mood. Have you been able to interview people from the Broadway or theater world? And if so, what were one or two of your favorite interviews from that world? Yeah, so I am in the theater business in New York City because I'm an executive director of City Guide, which is the major visitor magazine here in New York. And I interviewed not long ago uh, Hunter Arnold, who is a prolific producer of many different Broadway shows. And what I learned from him was interesting because the old saying about Broadway is you got to kind of get your head examined or you have to be dirty, filthy rich to produce because only one in five shows make it. So when I questioned about that sort of old wife's tale, he said, well, it's partly correct and it's partly incorrect. It's correct as it relates to Broadway. But what people don't realize is you have the rights to the show where you can take it to other places. You can record albums and you can do other things with the show so that therefore it's no longer, you know, that 20% gamble and that crapshoot. And like, aha, I never knew that. So that was fascinating. And another person I interviewed recently, I mean, she's not necessarily Broadway, but kind of close was Mae Pang, who was John Lennon's lover between the years of 1973 and 75, when he sort of was broken up with Yoko Ono. 
And she's just put out a, a new documentary based on that relationship. And it's just kind of fascinating. I mean, to me, the Beatles were like, there'll never be another Beatles. They were yeah. it. And like you were with John Lennon, who's, I mean, if you had to pick like 10 legends, I wouldn't be surprised if almost everybody put John Lennon somewhere in there. And she dated and was with John Lennon, lived with John Lennon to hear the stories behind that and behind his creativity, what kind of a person he was. There's a lot of rumors on a lot of these celebrities, but sometimes you can literally ask the person who was literally there. Because I said, I literally said, was he sort of a, a acerbic kind of character, which is kind of his reputation? She goes, well, not really. I thought, you know, he was kind of actually very sweet and he was just somewhat shy and quiet, a little quiet. Like him? Really? It was a Beatle? You know, I thought that was more like George Harrison. So, you know, it depends on who you're talking to when they're off stage. Like a Michael Jackson was on stage, he lit up the stage. Nobody a better performer than him. But when he was off the stage, as shy and as meek as you can get. So it's fascinating that you can have a stage personality and a real life personality. Eli, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, on the Motivation Show, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? Well, they can follow me on Instagram, which is probably the best place, EliMarcusSuccess.com, or they can email me. I love the people to email me at the, the Motivation Show at gmail.com, the motivation show at gmail.com. And I actually respond to people. But again, we talked before, it's all in the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. Eli, I wanted to thank you for reaching out to me. I was greatly looking forward to this and you didn't disappoint. So I hope we can continue this conversation. Thanks, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review. 